Well, hello and uh, welcome uh, to another exciting uh, episode of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I'm Andy Bannister from the Solas Centre for Public Christianity, based up in Dundee in Scotland, and I'm joined uh, as ever by my effervescent co-host, Christy Mayer, coming to us from London at the other end of the country. Christy, how are, how are you doing today? Effervescently well, thank you. I think we need to come up with some new descriptors. <laughs> we do. We use that adjective rather too often, but we'll... Uh, We'll think of some better ones, or if listeners have got some suggested, you know, long uh, oh, multi-syllabic uh, adjectives we can use for a bit of like relief. There we go. Anyway, let's move on from excessive verbiage uh, to <laughs> introduce today's guest. We're, I've been looking forward to this one because we are joined today by a great uh, friend of, uh, of Solas, uh, David Nixon. David, welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. Hi, Christine. Great to be with you. For those who don't know David, David does a lot with us at Solas here. If you go to the Solas website, you'll find all kinds of articles uh, and bits and pieces that David has written and done. Um, but for a day job, when we're not trying to keep him busy at uh, Solas, David is the associate pastor at Carubba's Church in Edinburgh, passionate about evangelism and apologetics. And outside the church does lots of things in terms of university missions and evangelism and so on and, uh, and so forth. Does that kind of capture you well, David, that potted bio there? I think I'm guilty as charged, yes. Guilty as uh, guilty as charged. Well, there were so many things we were, as, as Christian, I was thinking what to talk to you about, uh, David. But, uh, you know, one thing that you are nerved a lot of thinking about, and I know that you and I have done quite a bit of talking about over the years, is, you know, we live in a culture where I think many Christians are quite afraid of evangelism. You know, as one, somebody put it to me once, they said, you know, I just wish I could figure out how to share my faith at work without getting fired. Because we seem to live in this culture that looks more and more like a war zone every day, whether it's, you know, hot issues like transgenderism, whether it's politics, whether it's, you know, a massive other sort of things that rip our culture apart. Christians, I think, are afraid of, you know, going out, talking about Jesus, getting associated with some of these big cultural battlegrounds, stepping on a landmine, getting blown up, getting fired. And so all of that leads many Christians, I think, in the workplace to just say nothing, keep their heads down. Um, how as Christians can we share our faith uh, in a culture where people have forgotten how to disagree, forgotten how to discuss? And it just just seem, yeah, so difficult out there. What's a, what advice can you offer us? Well, I've had to actually learn this firsthand. I grew up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles, and uh, I grew up in a part of the community that was held some rather extreme offensive opinions and beliefs politically, uh, religiously, and uh, got in some trouble in my early teens um, for some of the viewpoints that I held and some of the things that I was involved in. And through that, I've had to learn how is it that we can disagree with people well. Um, so that's been something to, that, that, that I've had to learn about, learning from Jesus, really. I'm amazed with Jesus that he is someone who was filled with conviction and yet he was able to communicate that with great compassion to people. He was the friend of sinners, and that compassion didn't involve any kind of compromise with his convictions. I think that's a starting point for us. It's to always lead with compassion. Hmm. That, that's such a, a strong starting point, and particularly looking at uh, the life of Jesus in that way. What do you think that actually um, looks like when we're looking at, for example, the culture wars in society at the moment where these different groups are kind of vying for cultural dominance and, and to be heard. How can how can we as Christians, I suppose, show compassion, but at the same time have a strong conviction and the ability to be able to articulate our views within that messy mix and 
um, milieu when we're thinking about cancel cultures and we were talking a little bit about safety cultures and there's all sorts of things going on. How is it possible for us to actually, for example, turn up um, to work on a Monday if we're Zooming in or if we're if we're a key worker and be able to share the gospel in such a way that we aren't actually fired <laughs> or dismissed mm. from our jobs? What does that look like to model that compassion in, in this kind in this cultural moment that's a great question christy and it's interesting you said that there's so many groups competing to be heard and that's probably part of the problem they want to be heard rather than to listen i think that needs to be a starting point for us it's really interesting when you go through the gospels and you observe closely what jesus does is yes he he, he teaches but he far more often asks questions of people he invites people to speak to to and he wants to listen to what they have to say and engage with them where they're coming from he wants to hear them out i think that can be just a really helpful tool for us to have in our evangelism toolkit whenever we're going about ordinary life it's simply just to be curious about people to to be to to ask lots of questions the what's and the why's and to listen carefully and to explore what people really think i think what people really want is to be heard and to be invited to speak we don't we never have to be afraid just to to listen and to receive from others all truth is god's truth and we can learn from others even when we're even when we disagree with them passionately that's a starter that's a great starting point the other the other question that occurred to me david is there also sometimes uh, if we are honest uh, with ourselves as a as a Christian community, that sometimes, sometimes, particularly for those of us who are passionate about politics or passionate about an issue, that if we're not careful, we can almost get sucked into that culture war. We can end up in a conversation wanting to win a particular position, and we can always accidentally lose sight of Jesus. Um, how do we kind of keep those things apart, especially? You know, for for those of us who are who are you know absolutely passionate about some of those issues out there, um, making sure that we stay focused on the right thing. I think I think something that we've got to think about is if we're passionate about something, it's we also want other people to be passionate about it as well, and we want people to be persuaded to agree with us. And we then got to think about how how do we get people to agree with us when they start from a different place. Someone who I find very helpful to engage with and learn from about this is the secular psychologist Jonathan Haidt over in America at New York University. He's a professor of moral psychology and he's written a wee book entitled, well it's not actually we, it's quite big, um, but it's subtitled, "How Why is it that good people disagree about religion and politics? And he has this incredible picture where he says that people work like an elephant with a rider on top. There's the writer is your mind, your arguments, your thoughts, but the elephant, the much larger thing in picture is it's your gut reactions, it's your emotions, it's your feelings. And so often in conversation with people, we are talking to people's elephants, not people, the writer on top. And he points out that um, the elephant is really the thing in charge. It's the big, powerful beast. It sets the direction where it wants to go, it goes. Um, and so if you want to really start to change people's minds and hearts and how they live, and behave, you have to start by talking to their elephant, which means you've got to be a friendly elephant. You've got to come in close and draw alongside and then begin to persuade them to shift by talking to their elephant. And that involves being kind and compassionate and being open to listen and hearing and uh, engaging with people that way. So we start by seeking to um, win people's hearts before we seek to try and change their minds. Hmm. That's such a great... um... I guess, I guess, starting point, isn't it? In in sharing, we loved you so much that we delighted to share with you not just the gospel but our lives mm-hmm. as well, and and modelling something 
really beautiful in that. We were talking about the missiologist uh, Leslie Newbigin earlier on and how he his focus was on bringing people into community structures so that they could see the credibility of the gospel through these kind of renewed relationships, um, redeemed relationships. And so I'm just wondering, I know um, we're thinking a little bit about what this looks like in society, but what I was just reflecting on is, is what happens when there is disagreement or tribalism within the church? How do we, how do we disagree well as as sisters and brothers over some really big issues, but also on smaller issues too. It seems like there's not just a fracturing in society um, generally, but also within God's community. How can we how can we disagree well when, as Christians, you know, we do want to uh, walk in the footsteps of Jesus by you know loving our neighbours as ourselves, um, loving brothers and sisters within the church. But how do we? How do we do that when we have the same convictions, but we seem to come to very different conclusions? Mm. Just this last year through lockdown and all of the impacts that's had on church and Christian life, um, sadly, we've seen those fractures um, like never before. I think it's been the most difficult part of this for, for, for us as church leaders has been seeing the disunity in our church families and some of the criticisms that we've received for decisions that we've taken and how we've sought to try and lead the church through these times. Um, so that's so it's a very, very relevant question. I think part of it begins with us having to work out how significant is the, the difference between us. There's this idea of theological triage. So triage, if you're in a in, in a hospital situation, someone comes in, the, the the doctors and nurses have to assess how serious is this person's injury or sickness, how quickly do they need to receive help. And so theological triage is about working out is this is this a primary issue? Is this something that affects the core and heart of what it, of, of the Christian faith and its belief systems? Or is this something more that's about differences in how church looks? That would be a secondary issue. Or would this be a tertiary issue, one that just fellow Christians reach different conclusions on as they read the Bible with faithfulness and with integrity and they just come to different places on it? And so deciding, is this primary, is this heresy or, or is this orthodoxy, is that one of those issues? Because then those are ones we've really got to fight over and work hard on and bottom out. Is this one where actually it just is going to be a secondary issue and um, different churches are going to approach that differently? And if how your church approaches, for example, a woman issue or a charismatic or worship expression issue, you might just need to think about, you know, what church best fits you. But is, or is it a tertiary issue where it's reading different parts of the Bible or reach, having different views about, for example, the timings and the, the events of the end of the world, um, where people can be brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus, part of one church family, but they just hold these differences and they learn to be charitable and to be generous. Um, I think it was Augustine who once said that in essential things, those primary things, we should have unity. In doubtful things, that'd be the, the secondary things, liberty, but in all things, charity. And I think that would be a good little rationale for us all to have um, as we work through our differences in church. Mm-hmm. May I ask a quick follow-up question on that, David, because this is just brilliant. Um, what do you think the role of persuasion then looks like within those different areas? Like, Do you think it, if we do have different... Uh, views on I mean you mentioned women charismatic gifts you know there are so many others that we could talk about um thinking about the pandemic etc etc do you think it's actually a legitimate endeavor for for us as Christians to try and persuade each other of taking up a different position 
And if so, how do we do that? And what does that look like? I think so. I think it's fair because the reason why we have it as a conviction is it's because as we've sought to read the Bible um, faithfully and with integrity, um, taking God's word seriously, we believe, you know, this is what God is saying and this is true. And because it's about truth, then we want to say to others, well, I think that you may not fully get this truth. Um, but I think one of the, the things that can help us is um, we very quickly um, can think that we're in the right and others are in the wrong and they're stupid for being in the wrong. How could you possibly think that? And one of the things I've found to be helpful um, with my background in law, it's having to look at a particular issue from all the different angles. So a good lawyer is someone who can take a, a case and can prepare the two um, sets of arguments for your case and against your case and uh, test out the strength of them. And that's something that I've taken with me into theology and into uh, persuasive evangelism and apologetics is doing that. And so I find it really important to read the people who disagree with me and have a different viewpoint. And very often that has softened and uh, humbled me in thinking, actually, they've got some really good points here, but this is why I disagree with them. For example, for baptism, I came very close at one point um, some years ago to being convinced that actually I, that I was wrong about baptism and would need to change. But then I was like, okay, I felt the real force. I see the clarity and the logic and the persuasion of their case, but here's why I disagree. Here's why I don't need to change. And now whenever I engage with people or who, who would have different views with me on baptism, it's with just a lot more generosity, a lot more humility, and a lot more respect, and that's helpful. I think what, what intrigues me in this um, this this discussion is, you know, coming back to this idea of us living in this world where there are the culture wars everywhere, and you know, Christians have somehow got to find a way of communicating through that. Of course, it's vital that we we learn to disagree well, right? Because if we can't disagree well, then of course the world spots that we're disagreeing badly and called it out. I mean, I. I don't know about you, David, but I, in, in many evangelistic events, the, you know, the question about Christian unity has come up. You know, I've heard variations of, well, hang on a minute, you know, either, you know, which version of Christianity are you presenting this evening? Or, you know, how can we take Christianity seriously when, when Christians seem to be infighting uh, all the time? You know, how, how do you respond to that question? If someone said to you, who's outside the Christian community, like, you guys can't disagree well yourselves. Um, you know, how on earth can you have anything to offer the world? How, how would you sort of respond to that that challenge like you andy i've had that come up a number of times and part of it is saying to people um what you're seeing there is evidence of the very problem that jesus came to sort out um the, the very fact that we are self-righteous that we are proud that we um have a tendency to be unkind and unloving in our interactions even with brothers and sisters in the church family is evidence that of what Jesus says about the nature of the human heart and the human condition is absolutely true. And that's true even of Christians. As it's often been said, the church is not a museum of saints, rather it's a hospital full of sick people. And Jesus is the great physician who came to sort out and heal sick people like uh, you and me. And so I want, to, I want to then say, what you're seeing there is evidence that what Jesus says is true about the problem that humans have. And what I'm commending to you is not my church, it is not my um, my particular Christian flavor, denomination or anything. It is, it is the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. That's what I want you to focus on. It's very much what C.S. Lewis was all about when he entitled his book, Mere Christianity. It's the, as he puts it, it's the hallway between all the different rooms. There are different rooms where you get your Presbyterians and your Baptists and your Pentecostals and your Charismatics and whatever else. But there is a shared hallway where there is this common mere Christianity 
um, where we subscribe to the, the creeds and confessions of the church, where we uphold the Bible, Old and New Testaments as the word and authority of God's, uh, our supreme authority for life, behavior, and doctrine. Um, it's commending Jesus, keeping the focus on him. That's that's incredibly helpful. Thank you so much, David. I was just um, thinking about uh, applying that then a little bit more to society where, you know, one of the, the common cultural values at the moment is tolerance and the whole, you know, this is my truth. Tell me yours. Uh, we have Again, this kind of just this settled distinctions in society where we wonderfully want to accept the other person's view, but then you don't go the next step in terms of trying to understand or, or listen or put forward a different view. Because if you put forward a different view, that seems to unsettle the previously held view or kind of call it into question or say that it's not legitimate or good enough. How do you um, what kind of what would you say to then to that person who who might be listening and to and to me myself where I think about my friends for example and we're all quite happy in our little silos to some extent how can we really kind of disagree well with them so I know you've mentioned compassion and, and walking alongside them but do you have any stories of how we can really kind of open up the the vivid life of um of Christ you know through His Word. It, within those conversations, how can we even start those conversations when we know that if we are to disagree, almost it's an offence? If we can go back to something that Jonathan Haidt, our friend with the, elef the elephant man, as, I, as he's known in our house, the elephant man talks about how if people's hearts are open, then their minds are open. I think it's really important that people know that we are for them and that we love them. And I think it comes up in all sorts of contexts, particularly over disagreements over sexual ethics and conversations around about sexuality and gender in our society, um, where, where especially people feel this, this threat that to, to disagree, to, to have a different viewpoint is hateful. It is to attack me. Um, it's to dismiss me. Mm. And one of the things I think that we need to distinguish between is that people have rights and people should be unconditionally respected. They're made in the image of God. They are ones who are so supremely valued that God would send his son um, to, to make it possible for them to be saved. So we need to see and recognise the value of people and to communicate to them in real tangible ways that we are for them and we love them in the name of Jesus, that uh, they have rights and we respect them um, unquestionably. But then it's to recognise that ideas don't have the same rights. Um, and the way that we respect ideas is by questioning them, is by discussing them, is by batting them back and forth. And just being safe people who people can talk with and they can they can air their unedited thoughts without being shot down with, oh, you are this, you're this sort of hateful person or, you know, that's not politically correct. If we're the sort of people who people know they can come and talk to because we're for them, we want to listen to them, um, we, we, we hear the good in what they're saying, um, even though they might have a completely different worldview from us, that we can hear the, 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 the marks of God's common grace. So that is true what you've just said, that, that is good. Um, I think so much of that is what, what Jesus did. He's a friend of sinners, um, not the one who's come to throw stones. In fact, the people who wanted to throw the stones were the people who thought they were better than everybody else. They had all the right answers and they even picked up their stones to throw at the Lord Jesus himself. So I think we can learn so much just by observing how he was with people, asking questions, showing them love, serving them, um, being willing to embrace them and all their mess that they do. There's no such thing as a stupid question. There's no, you can't say anything that's going to offend me. Just, just let it out. That's fine. Just be, just be you. 
and then being able to then talk about, um, share with them um, the good news that Jesus brings and the truth um, that changes our worlds. And it can be uncomfortable. It, it challenges. The gospel doesn't just say yes to us. The, the gospel says um, yes and no, repent and believe. I was really struck by that distinction between the the status of of, of rights of human beings and, and of ideas. That's such a great way of kind of distinguishing between the two. And that works particularly well in our Western context, doesn't it, when we can separate um, those two things out. Thank you so much, David. Alas, time is against us. Uh, thank you so much for opening up this this conversation with us today. I, uh, it's been a real joy being able to talk to you and meet you digitally uh, for the first time. Thank you so much, David. You've been a great guest. Thanks for having me. And um, I think that wraps it up for another week from Andy and myself. We'll be back with you in a couple of weeks' time. With another, we'll be joined by another guest. And we look forward to continuing the conversation with you on Pep Talk then. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. Bye.